nice segue. Thank you, Richard. This yes. is hell. Okie doke. Live from late capitalism, where property has more rights than people, this is hell. Let's say you have never, ever been convicted of a crime. Let's go even further and say you've never even been charged with any crime, even a misdemeanor. You have a thoroughly clean, spotless record, and for whatever reason, have never even had an interaction with a cop in your entire life. That's how squeaky clean you are. Let's add on that you have never been politically active, having never gone to a political protest in your life. Then May 25th, 2020 comes along and George Floyd is murdered by Minneapolis police. Once you see the video of Floyd pleading, begging for his life, saying I can't breathe over 20 times, and his eventual death, you snap. Suddenly, your view of police and policing changes, and you go to social media to vent your anger. You even find and join social media groups that share your displeasure with abusive, poli- abusive law enforcement, especially what seems to be systemic abuse of pol- people of color. Within these groups, these social media groups, there are calls for protests against police, and you post that you plan to attend. Throughout the summer of 2020, you post your criticisms of police. You share comments in groups that organize protests, but you never actually seem to make it to any of the protests. Well, if you live in southeastern Wisconsin, your thoroughly clean rap sheet has not kept you from having an FBI file for your online activities critical of police and supportive of protesters. And not just any FBI file, but a likely permanent record as once you are in the FBI's database, it's exceedingly hard to get out. Again, you did nothing wrong. Everything you did is protected by the Constitution. Hell, even if you had gone to a protest, you have not committed any crime, and there is still no reason for you to have a police record or be in an FBI database. But it's not only that you have a permanent FBI record. The police in many jurisdictions throughout the area have the same information. In fact, they came up with it and came up with a surveillance intelligence and shared it with the FBI, information that includes your home address. And with police showing affinity with the far right and the police being infiltrated by the far right and some local cops being members of far right groups, that kind of information in the hands of violent gun-toting militants can be frightening. In a few minutes, we'll talk to journalist and videographer Isaiah Holmes, who wrote the Wisconsin Examiner article, How Kenosha Police and the FBI received Wisconsin's Black Lives Matter protester list. Former FBI agent wonders why some same attention wasn't given to right-wing violence, which you can find at wisconsinexaminer.com. Isaiah is a lifelong resident of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Holmes' video work dates back to his high school days at Wauwatosa East High School, where he made a documentary about the local police department. Since then, his writing has been featured in urban Milwaukee, Isthmus, Milwaukee Stories, Milwaukee Neighborhood News Services, Pontiac Tribune, and other outlets. Follow Isaiah on Twitter at Isaiah Holmes, followed by the number 8, Isaiah Holmes 8. Follow 
the Wisconsin Examiner on Twitter, at WI Examiner. Following yesterday's closing arguments in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse for killing Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum and the wounding of Gage Grosskreutz, the case has now gone to the jury for deliberations to determine if the defendant is guilty or not of the crimes with which he has been charged. If a decision happens during today's show, we will be updated by Richard as soon as anything happens. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show podcast live streaming host, Chuck Mertz. It's Tuesday, which means producing today's show should be Alexander Jury, but it is not. Surprise! <laughs> See, you know Latin. Alex's kid had contact with someone who has uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Alex's wife and his child have all been tested, and I believe they're getting their results sometime today, which means producing today's show is Richard Norwood. Richard, how is your week going? Pretty well. Nothing funny to report. Nothing? <laughs> but uh, last night I kind of tortured myself by watching uh, Midnight Run. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was not the movie I was, gonna, I was expecting you to say. It did not age well. <laughs> I bet. The best thing in it was Yafat Koto. Oh my God! What a what an amazing actor he is. Why? What what did he play in it? He played like the FBI uh, agent, and he's just 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 a, so funny to watch. He's he's comic genius. Yeah, I and he was uh, because of that role. He was in the original Homicide TV series right. playing a detective, right. and was essentially the same character except not as funny. But uh, yeah, Midnight Run. Charles, so you had an itch for a Charles Grodin movie. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I get these lists of movies that are really cool sometimes, and I just dump them on my you know what to watch list. And uh, that one came up yesterday. So so how didn't it age well? Was there something that oh, was you know, really it, inappropriate? It, no, no. It, it was just the 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 chases were like on the par of like Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I can't believe you said that movie because I saw a few minutes of Smokey and the Bandit the other day, and boy, did I want to. Yeah, I want my life to end. Uh, so for me, I had the realization that the holidays are upon us finally. It finally dawned on me this week that the holidays are upon us. <laughs> that means the rest of my year will be filled with cognitive dissonance and all my inconsistent thoughts and beliefs when it comes to celebrating with family and friends. Of course, I love being together with those I love during the holidays. Who doesn't? But the overconsumption, the commercial aspect of the holidays and being told this year that we need to shop earlier because the global supply chain is broken down, it's hard to ignore, especially in light of the recent climate change talks that seem to have been yet another failure filled with likely empty promises and delayed actions. Uh, Happy holidays, everybody. It's time to yet again put aside our concerns of our over our burning planet and party, party, party. And as the global supply chain is broken down, if you want to give any of our fabulous This Is Hell merchandise as gifts this holiday season, the trucker's cap, the winter beanie, the t-shirt, tote bag, coffee mug, medical face mask, or the This Is Hell guide to the 21st century USB flash drive featuring dozens of interviews from the 2000s, go to thisishell.com, click on support, and order yours today to ensure that those gifts arrive by the holidays. See? I told you I was suffering from the cognitive dissonance of the holidays, but more importantly than my inconsistent behavior related to the holidays. Richard, what is this week's question from hell for our listening audience? This week's question from hell is, what job are you not applying for? (laughs) What job are you not applying for? The person with our... I hope it's 
jobs at dollar stores, everybody, because those look just awful. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from Hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you will see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. Remember, without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support. We are not a not-for-profit because we don't make enough profits to afford to be a not-for-profit. We do not take any commercial money. We do not take any foundation money. So it's all up to you. You can leave your answers to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. You can direct message them to us at Twitter at thisishellradio. You can email it to us at chuck at thisishell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of Wednesday's tomorrow's show when we are announcing this week's winner, following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's moment, Jeff asks, aside from the way things are, what do we really have to complain about? which would have been a great question from hell. Richard will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell following our conversation with Isaiah on police surveillance of Black Lives Act- activists. It's Tuesday, so we're reading your emails sent to chuck at thisishell.com with your guest and topic suggestions and whatever else you want to tell us about the show. Remember, if we have your guest or topic suggestion on the show, we'll thank you on air during the interview with your guest or topic suggestion. Paul wrote us to say briefly, Hi, there's a professor in the UK who has been shining light of sensible stuff around the pandemic that might be good to have on the show. Her name is Professor Christina Pagel. Her tweets are good. Her Twitter is Chris Chirp. C-H-R-I-S Chirp. Keep up the good work. Paul in Manchester, England. So I checked out Professor Pagel's tweets, as Paul in Manchester suggests. Professor Pagel is director of the University College of London's Clinical Operational Research Unit and is a member of Independent SAGE, which describes itself as an independent group of scientists providing transparent advice during the COVID crisis. She also recently contributed a chapter to the pamphlet on health inequalities titled Prescription for Fairness. So, Paul, we are going to request her writing, and if we hear back, we'll let you know. But in the meantime, everyone should follow Professor Pagel's Twitter feed again, at Chris Chirp, because she really does share excellent insight on the pandemic, including an anonymously written article that was posted at The Guardian yesterday, headlined, As a paramedic, I can tell you why people are dying in the backs of ambulances. Thanks, Paul, for the suggestion and the tip on following Chris Chirp on Twitter. We'll be sharing more of your emails following our conversation with Isaiah and law enforcement surveillance of Black Lives activists. Coming up, a controversial database of Black Lives activists was compiled by Wisconsin police and shared with the FBI. Richard will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell, which is, what job are you not applying for? What job are you not applying for? Oh, another job you shouldn't be applying for is a cop. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our stuff right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Again, you can leave your answer to our uh, question from hell at our Facebook page. You can email it to us. We can, you can tweet it at us. But we have to have your answer by the end of tomorrow's Wednesday's show. Live from late capitalism where we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. This is hell despite having never been charged with any crime despite engaging in activities that are thoroughly protected by the constitution 
in Wisconsin and likely elsewhere, you may still have a permanent FBI record. No, you didn't do anything illegal or wrong, but your future potential of possibly attending a protest against what you see as abusive police and police tactics that have been racialized, that mere potential to attend a protest, a protest that could possibly, maybe, become violent, that has already gotten you in the FBI files. Here to give us a better understanding of how protecting police, I'm sorry, protesting police has been criminalized. Journalist and videographer Isaiah Holmes wrote the Wisconsin Examiner article, How Kenosha Police and the FBI Received Wisconsin's Black Lives Matter Protester List, which you can find at wisconsinexaminer.com. Welcome and welcome to This Is Hell, Isaiah. Hello, thanks for uh, having me. It's great having you on the show. Wow, you sound incredibly crystal clear. I need to know what microphone you're using so we can tell all of our guests that. That's fantastic. You it's write, uh, Turtle Beach. It's a Turtle Beach microphone uh, a headset that you use for gaming. <laughs> oh, that's why. That's why it's so good, because you need it for gaming. What's the game that you play most often? Uh, lately, it's been a lot of Battlefield 4, but I'm a giant Halo nerd. I've, I have been for a long time. And so. yet, that's not in your bio on Twitter. That's really weird. No. <laughs> you write, new details have emerged regarding a list of pl- people law enforcement believed to be involved in Black Lives Matter protesters la- protests last year. Documents recently obtained by the Wisconsin Examiner show that despite earlier statements, the list was indeed shared with members of the Kenosha Police Department. The revelations raised questions about the extensive surveillance which targeted 2020's anti-police brutality movement. Now, I'm not asking you to guess why the Kenosha Police Department would not admit to getting FBI information. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ask you about their motivations. Why they might give this information to the FBI? Because that would only be speculation. However, what's wrong, in your opinion, with Kenosha police getting information from the FBI or giving information to the FBI, another law enforcement agency? Are are, are those who might protest police at uh, police protests? that could be violent. What's wrong with the FBI and Kenosha police sharing that kind of information? Well, the uh, the issue is that the list was originally, well, first off, the list was originally created um, by uh, the Wauwatosa Police Department. And then, as you mentioned, shared, shared around. Uh, and the issue is that, number one, the list was created like the standards that 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 they really applied to deciding who would actually go on the list are, are really questionable because it just seems that if you were seen at a protest, including a nonviolent protest, uh, if you were seen at a protest through video, through social media, if you were tagged, uh, you could have ended up on on this list. And then they, uh, the Wauwatosa Police Department, shared it around. And uh, the issue, uh, not only in that they were just putting people on the list who had been seen or attended basically exclusively Black Lives Matter protests, but the sharing of it uh, seems to have been done in a really like prolific way uh, to where the departments actually, it, it, it seems to be hard to keep track of where they actually all sent it to. So. So the Wauwatosa Police Department, for example, uh, officially say that they shared it with the Milwaukee Police Department and the FBI. But we know that their crime analysts shared it with several other police departments. Uh, and the Kenosha Police Department was uh, one of those departments. There was a, a, a Milwaukee district attorney investigator who had approached that crime analyst at Wauwatosa 
uh, for uh, the list and photographs of protesters following the unrest that came to Kenosha. Uh, this DA investigator wanted to give it to the Kenosha Police Department, um, and he did. He uh, the uh, crime analyst from Wauwatosa gave it to the DA investigator. The DA investigator gave it to a Kenosha police detective. Uh, for people who aren't in Wisconsin or southeastern Wisconsin, Kenosha and Milwaukee are not in the same county. So it's intriguing that a Milwaukee County District Attorney investigator would would do that in the first place. But uh, so, it, you know, the issue is kind of twofold, that the standards for putting people on this list were um kind of questionable uh, because once again, it's first amendment protected activity to be at a protest. Uh, and then secondly, there seems to be a lot of, uh, I don't know if you could really call it informal sharing, but it's like sharing that is very, very difficult to track. And once that list is shared out and the uh, former FBI uh, agent that I interviewed for the story, Michael German, uh, he, he, brought up that, you know, once you make a list like this, whatever you intended that list to be used as doesn't really matter once you share it out because other agencies can use it for other things and interpret that information um, in, in in different ways than what you intended. And it could cause a lot of harm. So Wauwatosa is a city adjacent to Milwaukee's west side and has a population of less than 50,000 people. They're the one the police department. There are the ones who came up with this list. How authoritative yeah. is the Wauwatosa Police Department when it comes to compiling intelligence on Black Lives Matter? Is Wauwatosa some hotbed of cutting-edge police intelligence and high-tech <laughs> surveillance of political activists? No, that 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 that's that that's that's the weird thing about it. You know, the Wauwatosa Police Department is a department of uh, uh, less than ninety-five officers. They're a suburban police department. Um, it, it, you would think that the Milwaukee Police Department. Uh, uh, at least would have uh, more sophisticated, you know, intelligence gathering capabilities. Uh, but I think that one issue with the Wauwatosa Police Department is that, you know, first off, Wauwatosa is a area that, you know, its history is really intertwined with, you know, redlining and segregation. Um, it was a area for a long time that, you know, black people were not really allowed to be in, not allowed to own houses in. Um, and even when it was kind of on the books that, okay, black people can live in this community, uh, there would be things done by certain community members and also the police department that would kind of discourage that. So, you know, I, I think that the common denominator is that with that department, um, they, you know, they, they've always been in, uh, in a condition of, you know, there's there's us and then there's the other and our job is to attack the other you know um so it, i like like i think that's 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 part of the issue it's not necessarily that this department was so sophisticated and so you know it seems like this 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 list uh the information on this list was largely derived from uh, social media information, um, Department of Transportation information, like driver's license information, uh, things that would be open source, but also things that you wouldn't be able to access as a civilian. You would have to be a police officer, or law enforcement to really get access to that information. And then there is also information that had been gleaned from, you know, confidential informants and stuff like that. So I don't necessarily think that 
this happened because they are, you know, on the cutting edge of, of, uh, of uh, surveillance and intelligence gathering capabilities. Uh, I think that it was done partially because of a, uh, a, uh, a uh, enduring attitude that exists within some parts of that department and not necessarily all parts. And as we were saying earlier, you went to Wauwatosa East High School and you made a documentary about the local police department there. Is the local police department in Wauwatosa, is it, does it have a reputation for being particular, particularly racist? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, first off, you know, I, I saw my, you know, kind of funny side story, but I, you know, I saw my dad uh, uh, a couple weekends ago and we happened to talk about Wauwatosa, I asked him kind of what the Milwaukee area was like when he was growing up. And he said, man, in the 70s and in the 80s, we couldn't even go over there. It, it, it would never even cross your mind to go over there uh, as a black person. It just didn't happen. Um, everyone understood that you just don't go over there. You know, you're not welcome as a black person. Um, in the 90s, the the department uh, uh uh, had a bit of a scandal go on because uh, there, uh, uh, some of the officers were having what were called Martin Luther King Day parties, where they would uh, have parties on Martin Luther King Day where they dressed in blackface and they had racist name tags and they would wear dashikis and other stereotypical clothing and stuff. And um, members of the fire department would even attend uh, some of these parties at the time. And there is, you know, some staff basically whistle blew about about those parties and some of those officers were put under investigation and, and et cetera. And at the time, the police and fire commission uh, opted to not uh, discipline those officers or fire them for the actual blackface parties. Cause they said that that's first amendment protected speech. Um, and it was during that time that there was a change in police chiefs. Uh, a new police chief came in named Barry Weber. Um, and he kind of, uh, spent the following decades uh, kind of cleaning up the department's reputation, not necessarily uh, reforming it in any way. In fact, he actually promoted some of these officers who hosted those parties at their houses to like high rank to like lieutenant position, like they promoted them to like high supervisory roles. And you gotta understand in a department where there's only 90 officers, there's only so many sergeants, so many lieutenants, a couple of captains, and then right under the right above the captains, there's the police chief. So that's actually kind of a quite a bit of power that you that they put in those guys' hands. And then some of those guys would go on to train, of course, the next generation of TOSA officers. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, racial discrimination type lawsuits, not just getting stopped. Yes, stop and frisk type stuff, but just racial slurs like outright kind of racism. Um, uh, and yeah, they had a very, very notorious reputation for, you know, if, if you're black in Wauwatosa, you will get stopped for absolutely no reason. And Barry Weber, uh, the former police chief who he retired uh, this passing June of this year, uh, he really made it a point to uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if attack is the right word, but, but word but he was really really defensive whenever anyone would bring up e e even in a small public way that people would otherwise not notice whenever people would bring up 
uh, the activities of the department that they were just seeing in their average day life, uh, daily life, you know, he would make these very open defensive comments. Um, even in 2005, there was a Tosa high school student who made a comic uh, for the school newspaper, which when I went to Tosa East many years later, no one read that newspaper. You know, it was just something the kids did. But Barry Weber felt that it was necessary to say that this this comic can cause problems when in fact there are no problems and and uh and uh you know all this kind of thing and the comic was literally a white officer stopping a black officer and saying you know you realize you're black driving in in uh in a wauwatosa right that was the extent to to uh to the comic uh and just that kind of commentary from a from a local teenager in his high school newspaper would provoke the police chief to make these comment these these public statements that would make local news so and that has endured all the way uh to uh to the present day to where there are current lawsuits that have really nothing to do with the protests where it's once again along that line of of uh, racial discrimination um you know, racialized policing. You write that the list that the Wauwatosa Police Department compiled of Black Lives Matter activists also includes attorneys Kimberly Motley and Deja Vishni. The pair have represented the families of people killed by former Wauwatosa officer Joseph Mensa in officer-involved shootings, as well as many protesters. The list also includes a Wisconsin Examiner journalist, vast swaths of the Milwaukee area's activist community across numerous organizations and elected officials. So is this list essentially a, a directory, a who's who of Milwaukee activists? And does it include those who are activists that oppose the Black Lives Matter movement? Is it a list of activists on all sides of the issue or just those who protest against police? There are no people on this list that are affiliated with right wing groups at all. Um, in fact, uh, some people may be familiar with uh, uh, David Clark, who was a former Milwaukee County Sheriff, who is a very kind of outspoken, boisterous, ridiculous caricature of a of a you know of a of a of a right wing kind of figure. Um, uh, he held a rally, a Proud Boys rally in uh, Wauwatosa, and um, none of those people. And in fact, uh, arrests were made for disorderly conduct during that that uh, that rally. But there is no uh, there is no list of uh, of a right wing protesters or anything like that. There are no right wing protesters on this list. This is a list exclusively of of a. Uh, of uh, people who attended Black Lives Matter protests, and particularly people uh, who may not be necessarily affiliated with, but were perceived as affiliated with a particular um, nucleus of protesters called the People's Revolution. They were a group of protesters that, after George Floyd, marched every single day, had actions every single day for over 400 days. George Floyd was killed um, and they did a lot of Wauwatosa protests and et cetera. Um, and like you just mentioned, uh, there's uh, two attorneys who uh, have represented um, not only the families of people who have been killed by uh, a particular Wauwatosa officer since he accounts for, you know, all of the fatal shootings at that department over a period of like, you know, seven years or so, uh, it also includes, you know, me, I'm on that list. I'm the only like credentialed journalist on that list. There's also independent photographers on that list, uh, state representatives, uh, democratic state representatives who, uh, march with the protests, uh, 
you know, introduced uh, police reform legislation. So you uh, write that the Democratic. uh, Yeah. No, go ahead. No, yeah. 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 Like I was just going to say that uh, uh, it's important to note that Besides the list itself, uh, in other Wauwatosa PD reports, there are other Democratic representatives and politicians who are um, noted, you know, as being targets uh, for the department or or uh, information being pulled from their Facebooks because they went to protests or stuff like that. So there was a clear focus on on um, left wing um, activity very clearly. And you write that the earliest known emails discussing the list predate Officer Mensa being suspended with pay following public pressure on the suburb for his officer-involved shootings. This was one of the first results of Wauwatosa's protests, which were motivated by a trio of shootings involving Mensa from 2015 to 2020. Mensa resigned from Wauwatosa Police Department in late 2020 and now works as a detective at Waukesha County Sheriff's Department. Waukesha is another city in the Milwaukee metro area with a population a bit bigger than Wauwatosa and a bit farther west of Milwaukee when forced to resign due to officer-involved shootings. How difficult is it for former police to find work in law enforcement within nearby agencies, especially in Wisconsin? It's not hard at all. You know, you can get fired or uh, resign um, uh, as a police officer and you could very easily find another job. Um, it's it's a phenomenon that sometimes is called you know job hopping or or, or uh, you know uh, that a officer may be problematic in a in a particular department, so then they leave, but then they're able to basically reconstitute their life in a, in another part of the uh, state where there might be more problems. You know, the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department does not have dash. They don't have body cameras. And the last time I checked, they don't have dash cameras either. You know, and one of the main issues with all of Mensa's shootings were a lack of video or video not being recorded in convenient times or things like that. So that's that's very problematic. And there's there's new legislation that certain representatives have introduced to kind of put a put a try to slow down that 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 rate of uh job of hopping from job to job mensa himself actually uh was written a letter of recommendation by former chief barry weber as one of his last acts before he retired jeez so you also point out that intel on over 200 people is documented in the list from names to notes about criminal records and places protesters used for meetings to social media accounts car make and model details addresses phone numbers and pictures attorney kimberly motley's entry labeled her as an attorney and the wisconsin examiner's main facebook page was also cataloged what does that amount of information reveal to you about police surveillance of black lives activists can all of this information be found online and quickly thrown into a file or does this amount of information suggest that surveillance went beyond whatever information is quickly available online uh it it's a mixture of what they would call, uh, you know, open source, uh, open source methods, and uh, they they oftentimes uh, uh, not not just the uh, the uh, Wauwatosa Police Department, but any police department or law enforcement agency that kind of delves in kind of that social media type surveillance. Excuse me. Uh, uh, any department that kind of delves in that kind of social media surveillance will kind of try to downplay it and say, you know, this is stuff that you could see. It's not really quite true. 
Um, the it's now clear that the Wauwatosa Police Department were doing things like maintaining um, what you would almost think of as like spam uh, or fake Facebook accounts. You know, those Facebook accounts that, you know, you, you might think it's a bot or something, you know, uh, uh, with like no friends, no real profile picture or whatever. But they were using those kinds of Facebook accounts to uh, uh send friend requests to people to get more access to information on their Facebook accounts. Cause you can't necessarily see everything on their Facebook account. And even then there there's information on there where it's a question of how they got it. Uh, where did it come from? Um, uh, uh, it's, it's not necessarily information that any of us could see. Like I said, there's Department of Transportation information from there. It's unclear uh, if any subpoenas, it, it doesn't really appear that any subpoenas or warrants were uh, issued for a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, there's, 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 there's kind of the uh, specter of, uh, of, uh, you know, parallel, parallel investigation or parallel, parallel construction, which, by that, I mean the police using methods or methodologies, which may be legally questionable to obtain that information. And then they, once they find out that information, they backtrace through uh, methods that would be more acceptable uh, uh, or more legally sound. You know, so they find out a bit of, of information, but they find it out through sketchy means. So then they have to go and recreate their work and make it look not sketchy, knowing that they already have that information. Um, there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, people over the summer who had who felt like their their phones were being monitored. Odd things happening to people's phones, um, things that you could associate with certain surveillance technologies like Stingray. But of course, it's hard to know. Um, but it's clear that not you know car making model details, VIN numbers. These are not things that you or I could 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 look up. You know, uh, people's addresses, phone numbers, um, uh, uh, you know, these are not necessarily things which would be uh, accessible for people, you know, um, uh, you know, the average person. Which suggests it was much deeper surveillance. We are speaking with journalist and videographer Isaiah Holmes, who wrote the Wisconsin Examiner article, How Kenosha Police and the FBI Received Wisconsin's Black Lives Matter Protester List. You mentioned that a report by Milwaukee's NBC affiliate WTMJ-TV found that 74.3% of those on the list have never been charged with a misdemeanor or felony. What yep, role, it, yep, what, in their whole lives, yeah. Right, so, so what role could police play in contributing to violence at protests by assuming that all of these people who have never been charged with a misdemeanor or even a felony will be violent at a protest? So what could that do to the way in which police approach protests when they assume that there's going to be violence when, in fact, three quarters of these uh, three quarters of the people involved in Black Lives Matter protests had never been charged with a crime? And as you point out, a 2020 University of Connecticut study found that at least 96 percent of Black Lives Matter protests nationwide last year were peaceful. So could that have an effect on the police when they assume that there is going to be a violence at protests that are vastly peaceful 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, when there's information being passed around or intelligence that kind of uh, not only initially portrays the situation or individuals as something that they're not, but once again, as Michael German, the former FBI agent that I interviewed for the story mentioned, whatever you intended that list to be or to be used for, uh, once you share it out, um, that context can get lost. You know, uh, the Wauwatosa Police Department officially say that this is a list of witnesses, victims, and suspects of, of, of uh, activities surrounding the protests. And if it really does uh, uh, include victims and witnesses, well, once that went to the FBI, um, uh, you know, there were certain situations where they checked all the names on that list against criminal and terrorism cases. And uh, there are a lot of other things that I'm continuing to investigate that also line up with certain days when these checks are being uh, done, cybersecurity, uh, you know, you know, concerns, traces being left on people's machines of odd activity. So, you know, it, it, it becomes this thing of even if the Wauwatosa Police Department is, is being truthful in that statement and that, you know, there are witnesses and victims on that on, on, on that list, uh, witnesses and victims, because you shared it with the FBI, were treated as suspects, you know, and what constitutes as a nexus to terrorism, what someone on someone's friend friend list like it, 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 it you know, the bar seems so low. And beyond that, Like, like, uh, you know, when these protests, when these protests happen, um, when these protests happen, you know, obviously sometimes curfews happen and, and, uh, police use non-lethal munitions, rubber bullets, tear gas, and et cetera. If those officers are getting bad intelligence that inflates a danger or an anxiety in them, that it may justify, whatever force they feel like they, they, they may use. And in Milwaukee, uh, the common trope of, oh, someone threw a Molotov cocktail, that, that, that was claimed twice, once by the Wauwatosa Police Department and once by the Milwaukee Police Department. The, the Milwaukee Police Department later had to kind of admit that what they thought was a Molotov was not a Molotov. Um, and in fact, there's actually a very specific charge that you charge someone with if they have like an explosive device like that. And no one was ever charged with anything like that in any of these protests. So when you make these kinds of claims and then months and months go by and then you admit, oh yeah, we, we had it wrong when everyone knew that you had it wrong um, and you use that as an excuse to shoot, shoot tear gas at people in broad daylight before the curfew even set in, you know, that, that, that's how that just some of the ways that that can really cause problems. The last thing I'll say on that is that there's a lot of people who even in their daily lives are getting followed by police, uh, having police show up to their door, try to, uh, say, Hey, I got a complaint about you. Let me look around your house. Like it, it seems like this list because it's been distributed around has, has, uh, put the microscope on a certain number of people in a unjust and undue way to where even in their normal lives, they have to look over their shoulder. They have to worry about where they drive. If some random cop that does a traffic stop is going to see if they're on this list and then treat them differently. These are major concerns. Yeah, major concerns. You cite Milwaukee County DA investigator Matthew Gibson's email reading. Here is an updated list of the subjects identified as members 
or associates of the People's Revolution. As, as you were explaining earlier, the People's Revolution emerged as a nucleus of protesters who demonstrated throughout southeastern Wisconsin for over 400 consecutive days following George Floyd's death. 400 consecutive days. Now, that's a lot of protests. So, Isaiah, yeah. how often did those protests by the People's Revolution turn violent? How policed were those actions where police, where People's Revolution activities were taking place? You know, most of the vast, vast, vast majority of those of those actions were um, completely nonviolent and peaceful. They really just amounted to people. Excuse me. They really just amounted to people really just like chanting and singing in the street. And usually unless some resident who disagreed with the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, like like unless like a resident who disagreed would come out and uh, yell at the protests or try to drive their car through the protests, which particularly after Charlottesville, that seemed to just grow in popularity. Um, unless that happened or unless the, the police directly intervened, there wouldn't, there normally wouldn't be any, any issues or, uh, or, uh, or a situations there were, a, you know, a, a, you know, sometimes the police would cite things like, well, they're blocking traffic, they're they're TPing, um, you know, uh, an elected official's house, like throwing toilet paper in the trees of a uh, elected official's house that they disagree with. They're doing these kinds of antics that we find to be of criminal conduct. Uh, you can take that for however you feel about it. Um, those are things that teenagers do in toast all the time. There was a situation in early August where a protest went to Officer Mensa's uh, house um, and held a protest outside of his house. That's not an uncommon thing to do in Milwaukee County, at least. Um, it's a common tactic to find figures that you're that are at the center of whatever issue you're struggling against and hold a protest outside of their house. The issue with this, though, is that that protest, you know, over time, kind of uh, uh, that protest outside of Mensa's house kind of devolved into this confrontation between the officer and some of the marchers. Um, and uh, it appears that there was some sort of like physical scuffle that 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 happened between uh, Mensa and uh, one of the marchers. There's a lot of disagreements as to what happened exactly uh, and, and what precipitated what. Uh, and it's hard to tell because the Wauwatosa Police Department led that investigation and inserted a lot of really questionable things into that investigation that they later had to walk back on. Um, but what is clear that that happened uh, is that one of the marchers who was open carrying a, uh, a, a weapon during that scuffle, which some people say Mensa was trying to take um, a, uh, a weapon from one of these uh, individuals. Uh, it it uh, it uh, went off and no one was injured. Um, no one was injured. The crowd scattered after that. And three protesters who were associated with that weapon were very quickly arrested and charged with 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 crimes uh, related to that protest. Other protesters were arrested and questioned. And that investigation, although it was continuing to on be ongoing, to, uh, Tosa PD documents show that you know, once they arrested those people, they felt like they had gotten the people who are responsible for that, you know, uh, uh, you know, so that was one instance and really one of the only instances where the protests really kind of escalated in that way. But it's not consistent. You know, if these were violent people, uh, then why isn't this happening 
more and more and more. You know, why is it so inconsistent? Uh, in January, the Wauwatosa Police Department released a lot of materials related to that investigation, um, including unredacted videos of confidential informants uh, who they had promised no one would ever find out who, who you are. If you really feel like these people are so dangerous, why are you burning your informants? You know, it, 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 you know, so there was a lot of questionable things that, that happened with that, but it was situations like that, that they would use as like, um, major justifications to be, to do even far more far reaching and targeted surveillance against people. It's important to note though, that this list was created at least a month possibly more before that 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 incident ever happened. Uh, it was even created again, like you mentioned before, Mensa was even suspended uh, by the city, uh, which was a call for uh, by by uh, the protests, you know, so. So that 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 that's some of the context with that. Um, yeah. So did police use the shooting at Mensa's home? as a way to legitimize getting their list of local protesters and those they think may protest in the future into an FBI database? Was this a punitive move by police to punish those who protest police? Quite possibly. Yeah, you, 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 you could see it that way or to because once again, you know, the Wauwatosa Police Department, their official statement is this is a list of victims, witnesses and suspects. Of course, Officer Mensa is not on this list, uh, even though you could you could you could frame him as 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 a uh, as a victim of that particular protest. Uh, uh, he he's not on this list, but all the people on this list uh, were checked, analyzed, and subjected to you know their information put into an FBI file and etc. It's very important to note though that the FBI was kind of a specter throughout all the summer protest. Uh, right from day one, there were people getting house visits from from feds, um, asking them questions and stuff. County supervisors, everyone. Um, uh, so they were clearly gathering information for quite some time. It's unclear exactly when uh, uh, the FBI received the list. We know that it was utilized by the FBI after the incident at Mensa's house, but um, it's unclear if the FBI had access to that list at any point before that. In your reporting posted in September of 2020, last year, you wrote, since August, the Wauwatosa Police Department has deployed a variety of tactics against a group of Black Lives Matter protesters known as the People's Revolution in its efforts to more aggressively police the demonstrations in the suburb. These include laying spike strips in the road to halt car caravans, mailing protesters $1,300 citations, and taking photos and video of marchers at protests. And you quote a statement from the People's Revolution stating, this type of police is not an anomaly. It is a pattern of abusive behavior in recent uh, months. So what were the charges that behind a uh, $1,300 ticket? What were protesters being cited for with a $1,300 check all of a sudden, or not check, but ticket all of a sudden coming in the mail? Uh, those, those, those tickets would um, usually, and those tickets were being issued even before curfews were enacted in Wauwatosa. So these aren't really curfew tickets. Uh, these are kind of inflated tickets for, um, you know, sometimes it would be, uh, uh, 
some sort of charge associated with because sometimes the protesters would use car caravans to briefly block an intersection to actually allow marchers who are walking in the street to cross the street without fear of being ran over by people who disagree with them once again charlottesville it seems that people are inclined to drive through bodies sometimes but when you put a car in front of them they 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 just halt and wait their turn like they're supposed to so so uh, to to cross the street so some of these tickets were really really inflated tickets like that involved basically minor minor traffic related ordinances that 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 the that the protesters would uh would uh would uh would face and you know kimberly motley uh pointed out that once again you know inflated is a good term because some of these tickets were uh you know that thirteen hundred dollar number is vastly more than what the actual ordinance that is cited for the ticket actually allows you know um and a bit more uh uh that thirteen hundred dollar number was just a couple dollars off from a uh from the cost that it would have caught that it would have costed attorney Kimberly Motley to receive documents uh, from the department about Joseph Mensa initially, they were trying to use these high prices to block those those records. And then um, when that didn't work, they started issuing tickets that mirrored that price. So there was all these kinds of interesting things going on. Um, people getting mailed these tickets in the mail. Other people were hand delivered them by off by Wauwatosa officers, even if they didn't live in Wauwatosa. Uh, they were taking pictures of people. They took pictures of me. Um, they were writing down people's license plates, uh, uh, spike stripping people's cars, um, pepper spraying people, uh, kettling protesters in and, and uh, trapping them in in um inner in um you know side streets and etc and kind of holding them in place uh seemingly waiting for something to happen even though nothing happens of course there's no property destruction there's no violence etc so it was a variety of kind of these ambush kind of tactics that would happen or uh, that happened frequently over the course of the months sometimes they would also resort to arresting individual protesters um uh who had important roles in say directing traffic or keeping the march organized and safe they, they they would arrest one or two of those people um which you would think would disrupt the organization of the actual march but of course there's contingency plans for that kind of thing that the protesters would develop so it was a wide variety of stuff um press releases targeting specific people shaming politicians and local alders for uh supporting the marches, all kinds of stuff like that. So what impact did this abusive behavior by police, as the People's Revolution calls it, have on protests against abusive policing in southeastern Milwaukee? Is there any evidence or indication this behavior by police worked in silencing protests against cops? Perhaps in some regards, I think that it certainly made people more suspicious of other people, um, of, of, uh, of one another. Um, uh, and all, and of course, when you, when you feel like you're under surveillance yourself, that can wear on your mind. Um, uh, uh, so was it effective? I don't really think so because they're still organized. They're still organizing happening. Um, there, uh, the, the protests aren't daily anymore. Um, people have, have, uh, are still involved, but there's not this relentless daily protest anymore. Um, 
was it effective? I don't really think that it, that it worked a hundred percent, but it's it, but, but there were clear, um, impacts that that kind of stuff had, uh, uh, but it seemed like the more that they did those kinds of things, the more that it really justified the protesters' actions and their continued protesting in their own minds. You know, when the protests came to Wauwatosa, they were initially just because Joseph Mensa killed three people over five years. Um, and and some of those situations were very, very, very questionable scenes being tampered with by other officers, all kinds of stuff like that. But because Wauwatosa PD did all these other actions, it became a protest about the Wauwatosa Police Department getting the former chief out of there, getting Joseph out of there, et cetera. So in a way, it almost backfired. Um, they left a lot of paper trail that uh and by they, I mean the Wauwatosa Police Department. They 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 left a paper trail that um, paints a decent picture of what was going on. And I think it's also important that a lot of these other agencies that received the list, they won't really own it. You know, they'll they'll say, yeah, we were shared it, but we didn't ask for it and we didn't use it. And even the FBI who did use it uh, made clear that, you know, we were shared this, we didn't request it. So it, it feels almost like some of these agencies understand this list is kind of tainted fruit because of the way that the information was collected, you know? So they weren't inclined to to use it according to their version of events. And you point out that a section of an FBI document on the Black Lives Matter list that was compiled by the Wauwatosa Police Department uh, says that the information herein has been determined by the FBI to be pertinent to and within the scope of an authorized law enforcement activity and should be considered in the context of the assessment of predicted investigation in which the information relates. So was the FBI perfectly fine with uh, local police creating a list of those who have never committed a crime but may be involved in upcoming future protests for black lives, including personal information and disseminating that information throughout the police? Because Michael German was on the former FBI agent. Michael German was on our show back in September of 2020 when you were writing about the protests that were taking place. And he was on to discuss his article, Hidden in Plain Sight, Racism, White Supremacy and Far Right Militancy in Law Enforcement. Michael's gone undercover within the far right, within the KKK, and what he sees, what he has seen often are people who are in law enforcement as part of those organizations. The FBI was fully aware the far right operate within local law enforcement across the United States. So is the FBI perfectly fine with that information possibly getting into the hands of violent far right extremists? You know, that's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. And, you know, first off, and Mike, you know, Michael German, his his main uh, one, some of his main concerns about this list is once again, the far reaching ways of how it was used. Once again, after the, the incident at, at Mensa's house, uh, social media warrants were filed on certain protesters. You guys already have social media information on these protesters because of this list, but it wasn't confined to the Mensa investigation. They went all the way back to the day George Floyd died, even though protests in Milwaukee didn't start until four days after George Floyd died. So it just shows the just the political nature of 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 uh, of uh, a lot of these so-called investigations that were going on. But in terms of it, you know, the list getting into the wrong hands and that information getting into the wrong hands. You know, when you talk about Kenosha, there there's you know, it was very clear that the uh, 
Kenosha law enforcement, not necessarily just the Kenosha Police Department, but the law enforcement, even the U.S. Marshals who were in Kenosha, saw these armed right-wing groups that came to Kenosha uh, on August 25th, Kyle Rittenhouse among them, uh, as, as, as friendly. Kyle Rittenhouse was given water and, and praised by uh, a, a, a Bearcat, a armored vehicle, uh, uh, et cetera. And during those nights, there were protesters who reported their, 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 their tires being slashed by armed militia being, being pursued and picked by pickup trucks. And sometimes the, the vehicles that the armed militia would drive were really indistinguishable from the undercover vehicles that were being utilized by specialized and the U.S. Marshals. And the thing about the tires being slashed is that not all the protesters were parking all their cars in the same area in, in Kenosha. It seems like these militias had some idea of whose cars belong to who. So it becomes questionable, you know, like how far has this list uh, gone? What is it being used for? And, and is it appropriate to continue to maintain using it? That, you know, that's a very legitimate question that at least we're continuing to investigate. You write that following an investigation into the HVT PowerPoint, that's the uh, higher value targets PowerPoint that included one of the mayor of Wauwatosa. Uh, uh, Detective Joseph Lewandowski was disciplined for creating the PowerPoint. Lewandowski was then promoted to sergeant and moved out of Wauwatosa's police department's investigative division. Lewandowski was associated with WPD's special operations group and authored other reports about the mayor's questionable conduct during protests. Mayor McBride condemned the PowerPoint after learning of its existence earlier this year. Wauwatosa Police Department's protest operations occurred under former chief Barry Weber, who retired in June after over 30 years. So a couple of questions. One, is there any evidence that their protest operations, Wauwatosa Police Department, has ceased now that the chief has resigned? No, no. And in fact, the new police chief has uh, kind of doubled down on the use of, of that list. Uh, they sometimes are even refraining from calling it a list. They want to refer to it as an investigative report, which it's not. It's a list of people. I've seen investigative reports. This is not an investigative report. It's a list of people. Um, uh, so, yeah, they're 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 continuing to to uh, to uh, utilize this list and find ways to justify existence. In the PowerPoint of Mayor uh, Dennis McBride, it says that he sanctioned violence against Officer Joseph Mensa. Is there any evidence or any indication that the mayor of Wauwatosa ever endorsed the violence outside of the home of Officer Joseph Mensa? Absolutely not. Um, and that was one of the subjects of the internal investigation. So once we publish articles about that high about the higher value target PowerPoint, um, uh, they uh, Tosa PD initiated an internal investigation into that matter, and they determined that Lewandowski had uh, who investigation uh, uh, Lewandowski had inappropriately referred to the mayor, not not just the mayor, but everyone on that list as higher value targets. They should have been referred to as prominent people, allegedly, um, and that he had violated certain department standards and codes of conduct. He was disciplined by having a written reprimand placed into his file. That's it. He wasn't suspended. He wasn't anything. Um, and then, of course, later he was promoted 
uh, to Sergeant and moved out of not just moved out of the special operations group, but moved out of that entire bureau of detectives and moved to the patrol division. Um, that's one of the, the instances of the whole Mensa investigation that's problematic because they were inserting things into the investigation that that really were just politically motivated uh, uh, and had nothing to do with an actual criminal investigation. So it becomes difficult to really see a clear picture of what happened that day uh, because the lead investigating agency and the lead investigator did these these uh these sorts of things. The the mayor did nothing. The mayor was meeting with 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 protesters, just like how he was meeting with police officers, meeting with constituents. He held he 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 hosted he he allowed the city to host like a public listening session on racial issues, which the department and the uh, like, particularly Chief Barry Weber and the police union president of Wauwatosa were not happy about. Um, he. <clears throat> He uh, he joined the Common Council and calling for Officer Mensa to you know be terminated, uh, meaning fired. Uh, 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 certain things like that. So because of those kinds of actions, he was perceived presumably as 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 an you know as a as an enemy at 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 one point. You know, while the police in other regards were guarding his house from protesters. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it just is one of those things that's very problematic. Um, again, uh, some of the people who are mentioned in the higher value target list are also mentioned in the protester list. Uh, Mayor McBride isn't isn't on the protester list, but some of the people who are mentioned on his slide are. Um, so, just one of those ways that was problematic. So, who's more popular in Wauwatosa? Is it the mayor or the police? Good, a uh, good, good question. That's a very good question. Um, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I don't really know. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's hard to tell because there's a lot of people who back the police uh, unconditionally, no matter what, uh, who are uh, angry at the mayor, who feel that he 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 didn't do enough to keep out the protests and demonize the protests and et cetera, and demonize the people who were pro who supported police reform and et cetera. Um, there are other people who were part of the protests who feel that Mayor McBride didn't do enough. So uh, in, in terms of, it, you know, uh, advancing the momentum of change in that department. So, which by the way, it seems like uh, uh, the, the, the issue with Wauwatosa is that the, the city, the city government, the common council really has a very limited amount of control and oversight over the department. And, a, a, you know, the, Police and Fire Commission is supposed to be the uh, authority governing body, but that's led by a former Wauwatosa, uh, uh, you know, lieutenant who served under Barry Weber, who had been there, um, who who had been at the department during its racial controversies. So it it really feels like this kind of, you know, banana court kind of setup where the, the city has very very limited control or oversight over the department's actions in general. Just a couple more questions for you, Isaiah. Yesterday, Yahoo News quoted John Eason, an assistant sociology professor at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, saying, I think the mood in Wisconsin, not just Kenosha, is that they're over the whole racial awakening. All signs are this is going to be the case that vindicates, the case with Kyle Rittenhouse, the case that vindicates white people. If the peak of the country's social justice reckoning was George Floyd, then this is the pendulum swinging back. This is the tipping point back. 
in your opinion, is Wisconsin, as Eason says, over racial awakening? No, um, there there are parts of Wisconsin that I think um, maybe that 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 can be true or, or uh, individual Wisconsinites or individual communities. You got to understand that, you know, when you're talking about Milwaukee County, for example, uh, you're talking about one of, if not the most segregated city in the country, people are really blocked off from each other's experiences. Um, and sometimes, you know, suburban communities or uh, largely white communities are find it difficult to empathize with the minority experience or, or, or minority issues until it directly impacts them. You know, there are a lot of people in Wauwatosa who had, who were completely okay with everything the police were doing until they saw what the police were doing right in front of them. And then they changed their minds suddenly. So people are not going to stop. People are not going to stop, you know, protesting, organizing, um, uh, you know, honoring those who uh, died, et cetera. Uh, there will be a segment of the population who want to be past it, want to be over it, but these issues continue to endure and they're not being solved. So because they continue to endure, uh, people are going to keep organizing, keep fighting and keep, you know, shoving that reality in, in the faces of people who don't want to acknowledge that it's there. Um, Kenosha, I feel like, uh, is, is, um, a little burnt out from the uh from everything that's happened but even in kenosha people you know i've been talking to organizers on the ground people are going to continue organizing people are going to continue marching it it, it, it may change it, it it may uh you know evolve or uh shift its strategies a little bit but it's not going to stop one because last, the issues haven't stopped. One last question for you. We have been speaking with journalist and videographer Isaiah Holmes, who wrote the Wisconsin Examiner article, How Kenosha Police and the FBI Received Wisconsin's Black Lives Matter Protester List, an article that you can find at the Wisconsin Examiner's website, wisconsinexaminer.com. You can follow Isaiah on Twitter at Isaiah Holmes, then the number eight, and you can follow the Wisconsin Examiner on Twitter at WI Examiner. One last question for you, Isaiah, and I promise we do this with all of our guests. Our final question is what we call the question from hell. The question you may hate to, we may hate to ask, you may hate to answer, our audience is going to hate your response. Obviously, the best question from hell that I could possibly ask you, because it's the most hellish question today, is whether... Kyle Rittenhouse will be found guilty or will be found not guilty. So I guess even the bigger question is, Isaiah, what happens if Kyle Rittenhouse is completely exonerated of all crimes charged against him? What would you expect to happen at the next large protest against police in southeastern uh, Wisconsin? Will armed militias be even more welcomed by police? I think that I think that if if that happens, a couple a couple of things can happen, not only with Kyle himself, but also, like you said, with the, with, with, with the macro, with, with the community. First off, there are, there is talk of armed groups, networks of armed groups who have endured. And talk of militia coming down to support, to support Kyle and et cetera. Um, there's this emboldening factor that we also saw throughout the Trump administration, you know, um, where, you know, the former president would, you know, throw some red meat to his followers and then it 
you know, the, you know, the situation on the ground would, would, would get worse. Hate crimes will go up. Uh, people would feel, so I feel like if he, if he is exonerated, it, it, it would embolden some of those armed militia types, um, to further do that kind of thing with Kyle himself. My concern is that, you know, I remember uh, the case of Trayvon Martin and, and George Zimmerman were a 17 year old and I was 17, just like Trayvon was at, at the time where a 17 year old was pursued in a neighborhood by, by a man, George Zimmerman and tackled, you know, tackled and shot. Uh, and George Zimmerman was not a cop. He was a self-appointed neighborhood watchman. And he got offered that because his defense were able to successfully placate to the fears and stereotypes that people had about black people at the time. So after all that happened, George Zimmerman kept getting into legal trouble. He, 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 he even got arrested a couple of times. There was uh, story, stories and video of him, you know, kind of saying, you know, kind of starting confrontations in bars or whatnot saying, Oh, you know, do you know who I am? You know, kind of thing. So obviously getting off for committing murder emboldened that man. And that could potentially also happen with, with Kyle, especially since, it's clear that certain right-wing groups and organizations have been um, kind of patting, patting the kid on, on, on the back. And he is a kid. He's very impressionable, you know? Uh, so just like most kids are. So I think that that's kind of like a twofold kind of concern if that happens. But once again, you know, if, whether or not he is, catches anything, uh, any kind of conviction, or if he gets off completely, people are going to continue organizing their communities to make, their, uh, you know, make, try, try to make their lives and the lives of their children better, regardless of what people, regardless of what other people feel about it. You know, Isaiah, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And when I visit a friend of mine who lives over on commercial on the West side of Chicago, it'd be great to hang out with you because we are looking for a correspondent in Milwaukee and it would be awesome to have you as our correspondent in Milwaukee. Yeah, we could talk about that. Yes, I, I will. I'll bug you about it. You'll be annoyed <laughs> by me by the end of it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for having me. Take care. Live from the United States, where the law is far too often the crime. This is hell if that conversation with Isaiah Holmes on the criminalization of protesting police made you realize that, yes, this is hell. Show your support by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can see all the different ways that you can uh, support This Is Hell, including subscribing to our Patreon podcast, which airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. at patreon.com slash thisishell. Richard, please remind us and our listening audience, what is this week's question from Hell? And tell us how our listeners are responding. This week's question from Hell is, what job are you not applying for? <laughs> and Marco G answers, cop. Yeah, there you Which go. you alluded to earlier. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Mark S. answers county election official. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good one either. High school principal, also not another job you might want to be signing up for at this point in time. Jack B. answers processing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Whatever that means. <laughs> Kim, what job are you not applying for? Kim G. answers seasonal elf. <laughs> Despite previous experience. Oh my God! Meaning that's horrible. Uh, hold on a second. Her winter beanie is in the mail for winning a couple of weeks ago. Question from Al. 
Any more? Sorry, I was just replying to Isaiah there. Uh, Alex B. answers, a board operator position that pays a living wage. <laughs> Love you, Chuck. <laughs> and I guess uh, Alex doesn't want to win this week. <laughs> <laughs> what job are you not applying for? Mason W. answers, stay-at-home dad. I'd never make it past the interview. <laughs> Chris H. answers, emptying Biden's drool cup and diapers. <laughs> oh, God. Stephen S. answers, a decent one. Want to buy a keyboard? <laughs> Rob H. answers, New York Mets, president of baseball operations. Yeah, they cannot hire anybody. Does that mean there's uh, something afoul at the yeah, the Mets? Mets yes, no, everybody wants to stay away from the New York Mets <laughs> organization. They're a really lousy organization. It's very embarrassing, and it's all over the New York Times. And that's the only reason anybody cares. <laughs> what job are you not applying for? No whack wolf answers. Here in hell, we ask the other way around for a reason. <laughs> what job are you applying for? I got you. Ronaldo, our Ronaldo, Ronaldo. <laughs> My God, I can't say that word. For his, 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 his name right. Magaldo answers coal miner. The simulated coal mine at the Museum of Science and Industry opened my eyes and left me traumatized. <laughs> and that's all we have for today. We'll have the rest of your answers to this week's question from hell on tomorrow's show following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's moment, Jeff asks, aside from the way things are, what do we really have to complain about? We received more guest and topic suggestions this week, including one from past guest Christina Ward, who was on back in 2019 to discuss her fantastic book. It really is a great book. American Advertising Cookbooks, How Corporations Taught Us to Love Spam, Bananas, and Jello. Christina, writing as a representative of Feral House Publishing, tells us, we are proud to publish first-time author Martin Bilheimer's Experimental History of Chicago, Mother Chicago tells the story of the faulty science and economic theories used against the working class. Real estate, redlining, property speculation, racism, and collateralized debt, like the game of snakes and ladders. Chicago lays her traps for the unlucky and benighted on a numbered grid. In case you people are thinking it, the name is Shoots and Ladders, actually Shoots and Ladders is a game that's based on the Middle Eastern game. Snakes and Ladders. Uh, they go on to say, Christina goes on to say, Jeffrey St. Clair, former guest on our show, of Counterpunch said this about the book. Mother Chicago is a kaleidoscopic romp through America's most intriguing and confounding city, a city of recent ruins and distant cultures where the past keeps erupting into the future. In prose that summons the ghostly voices of the machine age, Billheimer excavates the moral core of Chicago by investigating what it did to its own lost children, the kids who were born losers at the game of late capitalism, the exiles and the runaways, the orphaned and the unwanted, in a place where the city became the stern parent of its own savage history. And boy, do I hate saying the word savage on air. Mother Chicago is a history, uh, this is Christina continuing, Mother Chicago is a history of a city, her people, and her institutions, all three at odds and sometimes at war with each other. Christina writes, I was lucky enough to be on This Is Hell with Chuck a few years ago, and I firmly believe that Chuck would have a fascinating conversation with Martin about the darker history of Chicago. At the risk of becoming bothersome, I believe Mother Chicago is a book that will divide readers, 
Some will find agreement in Martin's ideas that the city has always been laid out for the benefit of the wealthy. Others may take issue at this stark portrayal of a city and its leaders who callously and often criminally use their positions to enrich themselves. Either way, I'd love to send you a print copy of Mother Chicago. Thank you. Christina. Christina, that sounds fantastic. I can't remember the last time we discussed Chicago history on the show, and as that is what I went to school to study, it would be great to have somebody on to discuss the topic again, especially when it relates to faulty science and economic theories uh, used against the working class, real, uh, like real estate, redlining, property, speculation, racism, and collateralized debt. Yesterday, we mentioned how we are currently seeking board operators to run the board here on This Is Hell weekday mornings at 10 a.m. The position now pays a living wage and comes with other perks like having access to a professional recording studio for your own projects. You want to start your own podcast and get paid for producing This Is Hell? Email us at chuck at thisishell.com. And that's exactly what Sebastian did yesterday. Sebastian writes, Dear Chuck, I wanted to voice interest in part-time producing, as you announced on last Wednesday's show, which I only got around to listening to this morning. I have no experience in this field specifically. You don't need any. But I am pretty well-versed in most things technology. Also, I am a public historian, have a Ph.D. in history, and am a German citizen. I am authorized to work in the U.S. Just to be clear about that, I will just have to explain to the government that this position is related to my degree, which I think shouldn't be an issue. You frequently interview historians, and I'd gladly support you in doing research and historiography on whatever topics are coming up. I have two jobs at the moment, one of which is purely voluntary, meaning I'm not getting paid. If I could add this as hell to my resume, even if only for a day in the week, that'd be pretty helpful for our bottom line. Me and my fiance are getting married soon, and we have three cats that are very used to brand name kitty litter. Oh, and we live just a few blocks south of Peterson, so I could basically walk to the studio. Let me know what you think and keep fighting the good fight, Sebastian. Sebastian, Alex will be contacting you soon, and if there is one thing we can promise anyone who may be interested in running the board, the position will definitely allow your cat to keep enjoying brand name Kitty Litter. Via Facebook, we got a message from Sam at facebook.com slash thisishellradio. Sam writes to my favorite podcast. What anesthetizes you against the terror of existence in the post-industrial climate emergency neo-feudal billionaire playground meat grinder economy? So looking up anesthetizes to deprive of feeling or awareness. And I'm certain Sam doesn't mean depriving awareness because clearly Sam is aware of the concerns which have been echoed here on This Is Hell. So he must mean how do we deprive ourselves of the feeling, grim feelings associated with the terror of existence in the post-industrial climate emergency neo-feudal billionaire playground meat grinder economy. Sam, short answer, beer and weed and not necessarily in that order. In fact, in the opposite order. Longer answer, Nothing, as in nothing works in alleviating the dreadful fear of a frightening future that clearly nobody has any interest in avoiding. As long as you can make a profit from destroying the planet and its people, we're doomed. That said, Sam, for me, the best way to deal with what you call the terror of existence is to accept it, as clearly as you have done. Sam, any escape from the denialism the vast majority of the world seems to be in, that's what they seem to be in. They're just, everybody's just in this denialism about the destruction of the world that keeps taking place and denialism about their complicity and contributions to the destruction of the world, including me. I hope to at least accept that 
future. In that way, I hope to be more emotionally, physically, psychically, spiritually prepared for the disasters that are fast approaching. Listeners, please send your guest and topic suggestions, your thoughts on the show, or if you are interested in running the board here on This Is Hell, to chuck at thisishell.com, and we'll likely read your thoughts on air. And if you have any advice, hopefully better advice for Sam and I about how we can anesthetize ourselves against the terror of existence, send that along too. Richard, who is on tomorrow's Wednesday's live one-hour show at 10 a.m. Chicago time right here at thisishell.com? Yes, Wednesday. Tomorrow we have Magdi El Ghazoli on his article, Counter-Revolution in Sudan, which was written for Spectre Journal. And, of course, Jeffrey Dorcha with another moment of truth. <laughs> which means we started last week with a conversation on Darfur and climate change-induced migration. And we're ending this week's shows with a talk on Sudan, book-ending discussions on capitalism, police funding, avoidable deaths in jail, in surveillance of Black Lives Matter activists. Yep. This is hell. I'm your Bitter Blind Broke Gap Tooth Radio Show podcast live streaming host Chuck Mertz. Producing today's show is Richard Norwood. Thank you, Richard, for producing today's show. Thank you, Alex, for booking today's guest. And thanks to me for being here. <laughs> we told you so. This is hell. My demon is on my butt. No. Uh. My demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride. Thank you for listening to This Is Hell. For more interview hell and to support the show, visit thisishell.com.